It's a great privilege today and over the weekend to have with us Ray and Ruth Galloway, all the way from Cardiff, Life Church in Cardiff. Uh, they're the pastors there, the main leaders, and it's great to have them with us. When we were thinking about a speaker for today, um, Ray's name came right to the top of the pile. Um, we, we thank God for Ray. We've got a great friendship over the years, and... Um, we thank God for his life and his ministry. He's, we just want to loose him and let him go. That, that, is a da- that is a dangerous thing. He's already upset Brenda. He said, I didn't know it was the county council I was asking sweets of. <laughs> but Ray, it's great to have you. And it's great to have Ruth as well. Let's give them a great red car welcome. Bless you, fella. Oh, come on, don't stop. Put your hands together. Give me praise. Come on, put your hands together. Give me praise. Oh, fantastic. Well, it's great to be here. We left Cardiff yesterday morning and we uh, saw the road sign that said M50 and the North. And then we got to the the end of the M50 and it says the M5 and the North. And then it went to the M42 and it said the M42 and the North. And then we got onto the M1 and it says the M1 and the North. And then we got Sheffield and the North and Leeds and the North and York and the North. And I thought, this North goes on a bit, doesn't it? It goes on and on and on and on and on in the North. <laughs> but it's, been, it's good to be here and uh, I'm glad the sun is shining because this must be an awful place to live if there's no sun <laughs> up here. Smoggy land, isn't it? This is... Cliff took us out this morning, he showed us, he wanted to show us a little bit of culture of the northeast, and so he took us to the transporter bridge. Uh, <laughs> he thought that that's something that we would have really liked to have seen. Um, but, <laughs> oh dear. But, is that, but this is like being back home, we, we're originally from Stoke-on-Trent, and Stoke-on-Trent uh, Stoke and Trent is, is, a, is a, like here, it used to be a, a mining and steel community. And uh, Ruth and I, you know, we were born just after the war. The war hadn't long finished when we were born. And uh, I know it doesn't look it, but, but it's true. We're, we're, we're of that generation. Uh, I mean, we're not as old as most of you, but we're, 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 we're getting on a bit. And, uh, and, 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 you know, probably like it was up here, you know, you didn't grow up with much in them days, did you? No, thank you. As some are saying, I mean, they were... Only those early 50s, I mean, it was, it was, we were poor. Because I'm, I'm saying this because we, we slept at, at uh, Cliff's house last night, and, and it'll become clear in just a moment what, what I was going to say. But, I mean, we were poor. I mean, things like, you know, I mean, we didn't know we were poor because everybody was in the same boat. But, I mean, we, we never had sheets. She, sheets on the bed. I mean, we didn't know what sheets were, did you? We didn't know what sheets were. I mean, we had, we had you know, me, me dad's old demob coat, you know, the big army great coat that they used to have. And that's what you had on the bed and, and things. You didn't have sheets. I mean, you just had this big coat on the bed because we were poor. And, and I can remember once me and my brother, we were messing about and, and, and we were upstairs. And, and I don't know who came, but whenever we had visitors, the kids were sent upstairs. And they were brought into the parlour. I don't know why it was called the parlour. It wasn't any better than any of the other rooms, but it just sounded posh. You were brought into the parlour. And I remember somebody coming, and my dad's sending us upstairs, and uh, we're upstairs, and, uh, and we're supposed to be being good, and because he got visitors downstairs, and, 
Anyway, we boys and start wrestling and falling out. And I can remember going to the top of the stairs and shouting down, Dad, Dad! And it, my dad came to the stairs. He said, we've got visitors. I said, yes. He said, but I said, I was Stuart. I said, he's pulled a great coat off the bed. And my dad said, shh, we've got visitors. It's not a great coat. It's a duvet. <laughs> and I said, oh, so about 20 minutes later, we're fighting, wrestling. I go to the top of stairs again. I says, Dad, Dad. He came out again and he says, what's the matter? He says, it says, I was Stuart. He's pulled the sleeve off the duvet. <laughs> I only tell you that because we had a duvet on the bed last night. And uh, it was, because uh, we, we were poor. I mean, I was, I was 13, I think, when I had my first pair of shoes. Uh, 13, it was, we were, we were poor in those days. It was, and, and, and it, I mean, they were good. I only got them because a guy down the road had died. And so, you know, his stuff was being passed on, and I got the shoes, and I felt so chuffed. This is, this is my first pair of shoes at 13. I mean, I thought, I thought I was a bee's knees. The only problem was this guy who died, he had a club foot. Uh, and so one of these shoes was sort of built up, and, but I didn't care. It was my first pair of shoes. I thought they were fantastic. But at 13, you're starting to notice girls at 13. And so, you know, Friday night, we used to walk down the hill to the little square where we used to congregate and sort of stand on one corner and watch the girls, you know, at 13, what you do, you're just standing watching. And, and I can remember putting these new shoes on to go down, and, and one of them, we were a bit... Well, another good fortunate thing that going down on one side of the street, there was a, a, a pavement, and so it was all right, because as I walked down the hill, I was able to put the club foot in the, hill, in the curb and walk down, and so I walked down really smooth. The only problem was coming back up because there was only a pavement on one side of the street and so I had to walk up backwards back home. But anyway, but it, was, it was poor. But uh, it's good to be here amongst you and we're looking forward to a great weekend. If you've got your Bible with you, I'd like you to turn to Luke's Gospel, chapter 7. Luke's Gospel, chapter 7. I just want to read you a, just a few verses from the Bible, a story that some of you will know. Some of you will know well, and some of you, it may be the first time that you've heard it, but it's a story about Jesus. And it's in Luke's Gospel, chapter 7, and verse 11. In Cardiff, they would say it's chapter, chapter 7, verse 11. But it's, it's 7, verse 11. It says, Soon afterwards, Jesus went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a large crowd went along with him. And as he approached the town gate, a dead person was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a large crowd from the town was with her, and when the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her, and he said, Don't cry. Then he went up and touched the coffin, and those carrying it stood still. And he said, Young man, I say to you, get up. The dead man sat up and began to talk, and Jesus gave him back to his mother. They were all filled with awe and praised God. A great prophet has appeared amongst us, they said. God has come to help his people. And this news about Jesus spread throughout Judea and the surrounding country. This story takes place in a town called Nain. Nain apparently means beauty or pleasant, but I've noticed the longer I live that even in those good times, in those pleasant places, sad things happen, and that's what we find here in this town of Nain. 
We read about a widow. That means that she had already lost her husband and now we encounter her burying her son. She got a double loss, a double sadness. The prop of her life had gone and now the hope of her widowhood had been removed. It was a terrible time for this lady. Talk about deprived areas. This lady would be in a very deprived situation because now there was no family to take care of her. There was no social services. There was no state aid. There was nobody to come and help this widow in this situation. And so you can imagine not just the emotional turmoil and the pain that a mother would have at losing her son, being a widow, being in that situation on her own, I don't even know if the reality of what lay ahead for her had yet impacted her life, but the days ahead were going to be hard because she had no one else, because under the Jewish law, whatever now would belong to the family would be passed not to her, but to the nearest male relative. And so unless they were kind to her, she would receive nothing because she wasn't allowed anything under the law. But we read in this story that there are two groups. One group is led by the woman and according to the culture of the day the closest relative would lead this procession and then there would be an open wicker coffin being carried and then there would be mourners and then there would be the townsfolk uh, and this procession was coming and we read that it was leaving the town. And I was interested when I read this uh, and I didn't really know why Uh, until I arrived here today. Because this procession was leaving the town. And when I drove up, we came in this way, I think. And when we came in, I I saw the building and I thought, oh, fantastic. And then I thought, oh, they built it on the wrong corner. Because when we came round and we saw the frontage and the big cross on the front and everything, I thought, they've they've built it on the wrong corner. Because when you're coming into the town, it would be great if this cross and this thing was on the way into town and you could see it as you hit the town and, but you see it as you're leaving and I just began to think about this little passage that this procession was leaving the town and as this procession was leaving the town there was another procession coming in one procession is led by this lady in her sadness and she's leading death the other procession that's coming into the town is led by Jesus and he's bringing life. And I just want to encourage you, particularly those of you who belong to this congregation, that actually this is in a great position. It is no accident that you're here. Because you're confronting this city. Not in a way of intimidation, but you're there before it. Because there's a lot of stuff coming out of this town. There's a lot of people in this situation, just like this lady. There's a lot of sadness. There's a lot of pain. There's a lot of people in this town that are looking elsewhere for something that will satisfy, something that will alleviate the hurt, something that will help them in their situation. And their eyes, when you're in that situation, your eyes are always looking out in hope. And when they look out of this town, they see another group coming in. Right here on this main road, facing the issues of the community around about you. And I just want to encourage you you of this congregation that you need to make some decisions. See, for too long what has happened, see see, as Christians we're meant to be polite. 
See, we are called Protestants, but actually we've stopped the testing. We, we've, we've become polite and nice, haven't we? And respectable. And, and I don't know about you, but you know, in, in Stoke, and I don't know if it's the same thing here, but you know, when you have a funeral, and, and particularly in, in most of our generation, I don't know if young people do it today, I don't know if the same thing sort of happens, but years ago when we were kids and when we were younger, when there was a funeral, you know, the funeral procession had come down the street and, and everybody would just stop. And if men had their hats on, they'd take off the hats and everybody would just stand and bow their heads as the procession went past. I suppose they drive too fast now to be able to do that, but in those days, that's what you would do. You would show some honour and some respect for the procession that was coming this way. And I think sometimes as Christians, we've been too polite just like that because we've lost we've a lot of death and sadness and pain and suffering that's come our way and we've just stood politely. And we've taken the back seat and we've let it pass. But if you look at this story, it's not what Jesus did. I don't know what you would have done or what I would have done, but when this procession was leaving, this burial procession with death leading the way, when it's coming, this other procession, Jesus didn't just stand by the side of the road and just say to the disciples, come on boys, just bow your heads, come on, come on, just, just bow your heads guys, just show them respect, there's a funeral leaving the town, let's just, so often we as church can do just that. We stand aside and we let the pain and the suffering of our community just passes by because maybe it's not our concern or maybe we're on with other things or maybe we need to get in and we want, we're going somewhere and we've got a purpose and we just let all of this stuff just drift by and we don't stand in the way. But Jesus stopped in the path. I wonder, you know, I sort of imagine in this passage as this procession is coming out and Jesus is coming in and they're heading to one another, which one is going to give way first? And I just want to encourage you in this church, as you stand in this geographical position, it's more than just geography. You have an opportunity to stand in the way of a lot of the pain. You don't have to let it pass you. You don't have to let it go on. We can do something about it, but there are some lessons we need to learn about from this little passage, I would suggest, as we are faced with the issues of our community. The first thing that I think we need to do is, is to like Jesus. You see, Jesus, Jesus would have heard this procession before he saw it. He would have heard it before he saw it. Apparently, we're told, as you study and you look at, uh, at this New Testament Jewish culture that there would be amongst this procession some people clinking cymbals and there would be someone blowing a ram's horn trumpet. There would be a, a wailing of funeral dirges and laments. Apparently even the poorest funeral would have to have a minimum of two flute players and one wailing woman. <laughs> We'll make no comment, ladies. But, but <laughs> not whining woman, wailing woman. Right? But the, the poorest of funerals. It was convention that they would have at least two flute players and one wailing woman. They would hire them to be in the possession. So you can imagine this, that this lady, as she led the way, the, the wicker coffin would be behind and then there would be the flute players 
maybe a ram's horn or two, some people with symbols, there would be at least one wailing woman. And if you've ever watched the news from the Middle East and seen some of those ladies wailing, one is enough. Uh, and there would be at least one way. And what would happen as a procession walked through the town, it would be expected that everybody would join the procession. So it wasn't just for the family or the close friends or the relatives or their immediate neighbours. The whole community would be joined in this and they would all be part of singing these songs of lament and of mourning. And so as Jesus and, and his gang are, are coming into the town, they would hear this sound approaching them. And I want to encourage you to be a congregation that hears your community, that has an ear to hear your community. You see, sometimes we see the actions, but do we hear the cry behind the actions? We live in a world and in our society in the UK where many people are simply crying out to be heard. Just crying out to be heard. You know, many of us have lost our voice, even in our society. We've, I mean, people, you know, we've got some politicians here uh, th- this afternoon. But, you know, we all know how the, you know, the numbers of people who actually go to the ballot box has fallen year upon year, the election upon election. And the main reason is, it's not because we may be disappointed with those that were elected. One of the reasons is that nobody is listening to us. It doesn't matter what we say. And we would be surprised, actually, if politicians followed the will of the people. Because without being political, capital punishment would be back. I'm not saying it's right, I'm, I'm not arguing the case, I'm just, we wouldn't be in Europe. And I'm not saying these as political points, because that's not the thing, I'm just on about if we actually, our voice was heard. I'm not saying our voice is right, but our voice is heard. But nobody, it, it isn't that they're not doing what we want, it's they're not even listening Oh, that's how it seems to what we are saying. And if that's the case for us as a society, think about all the people who are living behind their little fences and their walls and their curtains, living in the anguish of their lives with no one to hear them. No one to hear their cry of despair and their sense of hopelessness. But Jesus, as he approaches, he heard them before he saw them. And sometimes, you know, church, we need to hear we need to hear. We, 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 would boast our, we would boast that we are people of the Word, but we need to be people who hear the Word. Very often Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? He didn't try to impose what he thought was right. He just listened to hear what the people wanted to say. And if you're here in this new community, and we've heard from the councillor that it's a, a needy area, but what does it need? Maybe the one of the ways we find out is just to ask the people just to ask them what they needed. And I don't just mean need in a practical sense, I mean need in an emotional sense. I was surprised I read an article in the Times. I know most of you won't have read the Times. I know we're up north, aren't we now? We're up north. <laughs> but the Times, it's one of them posh papers for all you northern people. But, but, but there was an article in the Times a little while ago and it, and it says that uh, Britain's singles are the loneliest people in Europe. Britain singles are the loneliest people in Europe. Now, we live in Cardiff, and, and our church is sort of near the, right in the city centre of Cardiff. And in Cardiff, Cardiff is booming. But it's booming with one and two bedroom apartments, <laughs> where 
single professional people live. They finish work, they'll go to the pub, they'll get something to eat, they'll have a few drinks, and then they go back to an empty room and an empty home. And the only contact with people they have is at work or their imaginary friends on Facebook. And we're growing up, and you know, we laugh about Facebook, and you know, I don't do Facebook, I've got a life, so I don't do Facebook, all right? But that's. <laughs> but you know, there's a lot of lonely people out there, emotionally lonely people, with family breakdown, isolated people, people without a sense of belonging. And we need to hear where people are at. But not only did Jesus' ear go out, I read in this passage that his eye went out. It says in verse 13, it says, But the Lord saw her. When the Lord saw her. So he heard, but then he saw her. I'm glad that God sees I'm glad that God sees. I'm glad that, that Jesus in this instance was not so busy having church he didn't see people. He was not so busy being concerned with what makes up church and good worship and nice seats and good preaching. Although you're getting good preaching tonight. But, but apart from that, he, he wasn't concerned with all of this stuff that we often as church are concerned with. He saw the woman. He saw the woman. Can I tell you that it's far more important that you see your community than your community sees this building? Because they can see this building all that they want, but all they'll ever see is a building. Because you're the church. There's nothing holy, I don't want to offend you, but there's nothing holy or sanctified or anything else about this. It's just bricks and mortar. You could sell this, it could be a nightclub next week, it wouldn't make any difference to this building. It's the living stones that the people in this community need to see, but you need to see them. So often in church, we just see the negative. We see the what. But you know, God sees the why that's behind the what. We'd have seen it's a funeral procession. But Jesus saw behind the procession behind the what? He saw the woman. He saw her pain. He saw what was going on within her heart. We're good at seeing the what. Cardiff has got the highest percentage of teenage prostitution in Europe. It's got the highest percentage of under 16 prostitution in Europe. Drug problems. All sorts of Difficulties. It's a capital city, and although it's not big like London, it's still a capital city, and it's got all the vices and all the problems. I remember Paul Weaver, who's here tonight, and it's good to see, came and was down at a conference in Cardiff, and they put him in a hotel right on the main street in Cardiff, and he thought he was in Dodge City at 2 o'clock in the morning because as he looked out of his hotel window, he couldn't believe what he saw because uh, there's more people in Cardiff at 2 o'clock on a Sunday, on a Saturday, Sunday morning than there is on a 2 o'clock on a, Sunday, a Saturday afternoon because they come in from all the valleys for the nightlife and the drinking and just, a, I mean, it's just wild. 
And we see it all and think, where's society going? And we at church say, well, if God, if God judged Sodom and Gomorrah, well, he's got to do something here. We, we have this opinion about the wickedness and the badness and the stuff that we see around about us. But Jesus didn't just see the symptom, he saw the cause. See, why do we have teenage prostitution? Why are we losing a generation to drugs? Why are those things happening? See, Jesus doesn't see, just see the what, he sees the why. He doesn't just see the symptom, he sees the cause. He didn't just see the problem, but he saw the pain behind the problem. You see, he heard what he saw. And we need to begin to see people like Jesus sees people. Because what he saw affected how he felt. See, what he saw affected his heart. In verse 13, it says his heart went out to her. He says, when the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her. His heart went out to her. We've become often desensitized by what we see on TV. We've become desensitized by what we see in our communities. I don't believe God's become desensitized. If God could cry himself to sleep at night, I think he would, as he looks at our communities. Because he sees them as they truly are. He sees the pain and the anguish, and I believe his heart goes out to them. But the question is, does ours? As you are here, right on this highway, as people are looking out for the answer to life, we've got to be a people whose heart go out to them. And I want to encourage you. See, when Jesus when he says his heart went out to her, his heart didn't go out to her to promote his ministry. His heart went out to her, there's an overflow of his mercy. He didn't, his heart didn't go out of, to her, there's some sort of soundbite, or some sort of, of, of programme, or some sort of outreach, or some sort of new kind of ministry, or some sort of opportunity to see people saved. His heart went out to her because his heart went out to her. His love was unconditional. It didn't matter whether she would get saved or he saw her pain and wanted to help. And I want to encourage you that there's a community all around here that just needs loving unconditionally. It doesn't matter whether they come to church. Can I tell you? It doesn't matter whether they get saved or not. It doesn't matter whether they become Christians or not. That's not the issue. That's not the issue. See, Jesus died for everybody. Well, not everybody's going to get saved, but he still died for them. Why? Because he loved them. We need to be a people who, whose heart goes out to people. But it, our heart will only go out when our eyes have gone out. When we've seen them as they are, then our hearts will go out and, and we're not doing it to start a new ministry. We're not doing it for some sort of church activity. We're doing it because we just love the people. We just love. We have a, a thing, a social action thing in Cardiff that, from our church that we call Love Cardiff. And it is purely a social action program. We don't allow anybody to witness or share their faith when they're on it. 
So we've converted, done schools up and painted for the community and refurbished schools and refugee centres and drug addict centres and all of these things. And, and we just go and paint. And, and it's a great scheme because we get the community to come to us with the problem, the difficulty, because we haven't got funding or whatever. So there's a, a, a refugee centre or a, a, an addict centre that needs refurbishing. So they'll come and say, can you do it? And we say, yes. And so then we go to B&Q and say, we're doing this, would you supply us with this stuff? And it's surprising what you can blag. In fact, I think there's a spiritual gift of blagging. In fact, you, you know, but businesses want to help. They want to make a difference. And even if you just go at it cynically, because what we say to them is, says, well, when we do, it, we're going to write, write up in the paper and we'll mention how good you've been to us. Oof, the advertising. So that works. But it's surprising how many companies actually want to help. And, and, and we've got a congregation of labour. And our church is mainly, it's not like you all old people, our church is all young people. It's sort of 18s to 30s, our congregation. It's, it's young people. In fact, yeah, well, I thought tonight I was the only one here with my own hips, but I think there might be one or two. But, but we've got lots of young people and, and, and single professors, and they want to do something. And their friends who aren't Christians want to do something. And so when we put on these events, we get the labour, the community come to us with the problem, and we get business to supply the needs, and we work together in teamwork, but we don't, and they'll say, well, why are you doing it? Just say, because we love our city. Yeah, but why are you doing it? No, we love our city. And we don't tell them we're church, we don't want to tell them we're church, we don't want to do that. But it's surprising, the contacts are made, and, and the fellow, and, and the, the great uh, work ethic we have with our council because we need one another it's not just about us there's a community out there to partner with that they've got gifts and abilities that we need to help us and but just love unconditionally and when his heart went out his comfort went out it says in verse 13 don't cry There's a lot of people in this town that needs to be comforted. Jesus said, don't cry. I love it, Jesus. He, he says things like that, doesn't he? Don't cry. Cheer up. Don't be afraid. He's always bringing these words of encouragement. He's always doing things to bring comfort to people, to help, just to the least. And then his hand went out. It's interesting that his hand goes out after his ear had gone out, his eye had gone out, his heart goes out, and his comfort goes out. And then in verse 14, we read that his heart went out. It was only after this whole process that he actually touched the problem. It was only after this whole process that he got close enough to touch the problem. It says he went up and he touched the coffin. I like this. I like it because... I think it caused some of these people to have a, a colony. Because here there's this young rabbi going up and touching a coffin. This was a big taboo. This rabbi going up and touching something that was dead, that was polluted, that was ceremonially unclean. And Jesus goes up and touches it. Can I say to you, you're not going to touch the problem in here. You're going to touch the problem out there. 
And we need some people that are willing to get their hands dirty and touch the unclean. And I don't, I mean unclean, unclean, unclean. (laughs) Touch the addicts. Touch the unlovely. To put their hand out and touch those things that maybe church has been too aloof to touch before. He got to touch the problem, but to do it he had to get up close and personal. Can I just say to you tonight that God will cross any boundary to reach your situation. God will cross any boundary to reach your problem. But he expects us to do the same. Isn't that what God did when he sent his son from the realms of glory to become like one of us, to be born in human form, to live in our world? He crossed that boundary from the eternal to the temporal because he saw that there was people that needed his touch. I like that story in 2 Kings chapter 4 about that boy that's dead on the bed and the prophet comes up, puts his hands upon his hands and his mouth upon his mouth and his eyes upon his eyes. Can you imagine church being like that? Forget about being in the assemblies of God if you start lying on corpses, Cliff. We'd have them out. I don't even think the Anglicans would have them in if they just lay on top of corpses, mouth to mouth, eye to eye and hand to hand. But he had to get up close and personal to impart life. And I believe that God wants to use your hands and my hands to reach others. He wants to cross every boundary to get us involved. And for too long, and I know we celebrate this, but for too long, these walls have been a boundary. And I'm glad you've had 11 years in the wilderness. No, it wasn't the wilderness you used, was it? Nomads. I think some of them are mad. I don't think they're all nomad. I think... <laughs> sorry. So I'm up north, aren't I? It's too sharp. We've had 18 years without our own building in Cardiff. And it's interesting, isn't it? Mothersons had your land after ours. We've got a lease building now, and Mothersons are having it. Or think they are. So I was encouraged when you heard that tonight. Man, I don't want this one we've got to burn down. I just want them to give it to us. We've missed that bit out, but... So don't shop at Madison's note. (laughs) These walls have been a boundary. These walls have been a barrier. We've had a come in gospel, but Jesus' gospel has gone out. And we've lied the wall. Don't allow these walls to become a boundary to the community. His hand went out and then it says his power went out. In verse 15, it says, The dead man sat up and began to talk, and Jesus gave him back to his mother. You know, you don't know what miracles will happen until you let Jesus touch you. You don't know what miracles will happen until you let Jesus touch you. You may be here tonight, and this is not your scene in church, but you know you've got great needs in your life and great miracles. You don't know what can happen until you allow Jesus to touch you. Allow Jesus to touch the problem. When they came out of that town with death, this corpse, the last thing they were expected is to have an empty coffin. But Jesus touching made all 
the difference. You don't know what will happen. You don't know what miracles can happen in this community until we reach out and touch it. You don't know the transformations that can take place. They're just waiting to happen if the church will just touch the community. This is not the world that most of us grew up in. This is not the society... I mean, we joked a little earlier about being poor. Yeah, we were, but we had everything. And we had nothing, but we had everything. Now, we've got kids that have got everything, but have got nothing. It's not the world that we grew up in, is it? It's not the values, the ethics, the modality. It's just not the world that we grew up in. And we say, well, why is that? What, what's gone? What's happened? Could I dare to suggest it's maybe because we've defended the faith instead of proclaiming it? That actually the salt and the light that was mentioned earlier has been withdrawn. And so we've allowed our communities, we've, we've allowed them to try to live without the influence of Christianity. We've allowed them to go without salt and light and what we have now is because we've withdrawn. I want to tell you there are multitudes of people not a stone's throw away from where this building is. They're desperately waiting for the community that resides here. The love and the affection that resides here. I grew up in church and in church in those days some of you will remember that when you came to church the first thing that they expected is that you, know, you had to believe. You had to get saved. You had to give your life to Jesus. When you came, first thing you've got to believe. And when you believed, you had to behave. So you'd have to get your hair cut, wear the suit, get a big Bible, couldn't go to the cinema anymore, couldn't do none of those things yet. So you believed and then you behaved and then when you did that for long enough, they'd let you belong. They'd invite you into membership. They'd let you do that. Can I tell you, those days have gone. People are looking to belong. We want people to belong. Let people belong into this church. See, God knows those who are His. Just let people belong. See, why do you think our kids love their friends more than they love their family? They're more loyal to their friends than they are to their family because they've got a sense of belonging with their peer group. Well, there's a lot of lonely people out there that just want to belong. Just let them come. Let them belong. We've had people playing on a Sunday in our band that aren't Christians, leading worship. They're not Christians. They are now. But all they wanted to do was play the drums. So we let them. Let them belong. Now they believe. Some of them are behaving. But, <laughs> but guys, we've got to love our, our society. 2,000 years ago, Jesus gave away his body for the salvation of the world. 2,000 years later, he still wants to. To give away his body for the salvation of the world. To give away the church so that people could be saved. He doesn't want us to keep it. We don't own it. It's not ours. It's here so people can find Jesus. And God's looking for the people that will do it. And here you are on the main road coming out of that car. Every time there's a race meeting on and all those people leave, they'll see this building. Every time people look out and say, oh God, help me, there's an opportunity 
for this people to be seen, to be noticed. There's an opportunity for you just to stand in the way of the pain and the suffering and say, hold on, we hear you. He didn't judge you, he didn't condemn it, but he heard and he saw and he felt and he comforted and he touched and then his power went out. Let's be a people in this community that make a difference by unconditional love. It's a great opportunity. You've never been here before. The people in this community don't know you. So don't expect them to trust you. Because trust has to be earned. So love them without an agenda. Love them not to get them saved. Love them just because you love them. You want to help them. Just because that's what Jesus does. So let's just do it.